Good morning, everyone. It's just important for the preacher to know that the people listening are awake. That's all. I noticed some, some, some friends of mine, some dear friends of mine. When we pastored in Lexington, Kentucky, some people down here were the most, they were the, the best church members in the world. I say that about everyone, actually. In Kentucky, we had this little thing, and, and Keith will tell you about this. We had this thing, when, when people fell asleep in church, it wasn't good. Here's what we would do. We had a deacon in the church. His name was Jim. He is the head deacon. When someone fell asleep during the church service, you knew trouble was coming because Jim would stand up and walk out. And I knew trouble was coming. I mean, I hated this. I, I disliked this more than anybody. And Jim would walk out and he would go to a cupboard we had out in the foyer with, with the word deacons written on it. Deacons. And he'd go out to the deacons cupboard. This is what would happen when somebody fell asleep in Lexington, which is not far from here. Um, and Jim would go out and he would get this, it was a big long pole that stood in the corner of the deacon's closet. And on the end of the pole, there was a, a knob, a rounded knob is what would happen. And then Jim would come walking back into the church, our, our beloved head deacon, and he would be holding the long pole and everybody knew what was coming. And I, I mean, I, I knew what was coming. I dreaded this. And Jim would come in with the long pole. And remember, this is what happened when somebody fell asleep in church and heads would turn and people would look and there'd be, you know, one of the dear sisters over here would gasp a little bit. Oh, not again. Dear God, help us. And when somebody fell asleep in church, Brother Jim, the head deacon, would come up with that long, that long pole and he'd walk right up the front. And when someone fell asleep in church, he would take that pole and, and jab, he would jab the preacher. Isn't that right? So please don't fall asleep on me. It just makes me nervous. Break out in a cold sweat. Not good. Well, it's a blessing to be here. It's a privilege to be here, actually. What a great place to be, ASI, the National Convention. What a blessing to be here. Our theme for this weekend, this week, weekend, is it's time to be about what? Our Father's business. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe it's time to be about our Father's business. So let's pray and talk a little bit about this from what I hope will be a biblical perspective. Please bow your head with me as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you today in the name of Jesus. We are reminded of the words of the old hymn, in our hand no price we bring, simply to the cross we cling. I thank you that we have this, really this oasis, a place where we can come together and uh, celebrate that we are yours and be challenged a little bit, challenged and inspired. Please, Lord, would you speak to our heart? And I pray that you would be merciful to me and uh, please do not allow the fallenness and the inadequacy of sinful humanity to get in the way of the working of your spirit. I will not ask that you send your spirit to be here. Instead, I will thank you that your spirit is here. We consider this your place. So speak, dear Lord, and be heard, please, we pray. We ask this of you in Jesus' name. Please join me in saying, 
Amen. I think I'm right in saying that in this world we love sure things. We love sure investments. If you knew that there was a place that you could take your hard-earned money and, and invest it and you were guaranteed a risk-free return that, that, was, that was handsome, that was attractive, you'd be all over that. You would love that. We like can't-lose stuff. We like the idea of a can't-lose investment. One of the reasons, one of the reasons so many people lost their shirt during the housing crisis was that, well, you can't possibly lose on real estate, right? That's one of the reasons so many people, as many people as did, came out of this thing kind of hard. Unfortunately, many can't-lose investments turn out to be can-lose investments. That's just the way it is. We like sure things. We like them. We like them in sports. We like sure things in sports. Now, what I'm about to tell you is very difficult for me to tell you. I, would never, I will never say this again. It's difficult for me to tell you. I'm from New Zealand originally. In 1987, the first Rugby World Cup was held. It was held in New Zealand. New Zealand is traditionally the, the, the rugby superpower of the world. Now, there's a South African or two around here who's going to disagree with me, but I don't mind. I have the microphone, and, and they don't. So that's that. You can talk about South African rugby when you preach. <laughs> New Zealand was expected to win the 1987 Rugby World Cup and did. No problem. The last Rugby World Cup was 2011. Last year, New Zealand was expected to win it. New Zealand won it. Now, we, we played along with the French and allowed them to think they were in the game. They pushed us a little. But we won in 1987. We were the favorites. We won in 2011. We could not lose. But do we need to tell you what happened in 1991, and 1995, and 1999, and 2003, and 2007? New Zealand was the can't-lose overwhelming favorite in all of those Rugby World Cups. And in all of those other ones, we didn't lose once. Ah, uh, sorry. I wish that was true. We didn't win once. So much for can't-lose. Wait a minute. I feel, I feel unwell having told you that. I have to find something to make myself feel better. What can I tell you that can make me feel better? In the Olympic Games, an Australian swimmer named James Magnuson was the can't-lose overwhelming prohibitive favorite to win the men's 100 meters freestyle. He was the world champion. He was the fastest ever man over 100 meters freestyle, one of swimming's glamour events, wearing the traditional swimsuit. You know, a few years ago, they went to these space-age swimsuits made out of I don't know, carbon fiber or something. They banned those. But wearing the conventional swimsuit, the missile, the Aussies called him, the missile, the fastest. He said, I, I think I will win. The Australians expected him to win. In his hometown, a very beautiful city called Port Macquarie, people got up early in the morning. Many of them went to the town square at 4.30 in the morning. Well, the domain, not a town square. There was a big screen there. The citizens came out. His race was at 5.15 Australian time. And James Magnuson swam well. He swam so well, many people thought he had won, but he didn't win. He came second. I feel better telling you that. He came second by one one-hundredth of a second. He couldn't lose, but he didn't win. Let's keep going. 1972, Munich Olympics. The New Zealand, no, hang on a minute. I'm, on a, I'm stuck in a groove. The United States basketball team, the men's basketball team, had won the gold medal at every Olympic game since 1936. They were on a roll. And they got to Munich and they couldn't lose. 
Then they played the Soviet Union in the final, and they couldn't lose. And with seconds to play, they were leading 50 points to 49. As a matter of fact, America thought that they had won until there was some confusion with the clock. And they added a second, and then they added another second, I think it was. And they gave the, the, the ball back to the Soviets with a second and a half left to play, or something like that. Then something happened, and the Soviets scored. And the United States went home without the gold medal. They couldn't lose, but they didn't win. We like can't lose, especially when we don't lose. Wouldn't it be great to have a can't lose proposition in the Lord's work? Wouldn't it be great to get involved in some kind of evangelism outreach where you had God's assurance that doing this, you just cannot lose? Now, anybody who's been involved in evangelism is going to say, oh, no, hang on, man. We've, we've held meetings. We've done out, outreaches. We've had health programs. We've done all kinds of community service. There's no such thing as a cannot lose pro a proposition in evangelism. That's what somebody might say. But I want to take you to a passage in the Bible that demonstrates to you that in the work of evangelism, you cannot lose. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. It is one of the songs of ascent. Sometimes, I think my Bible, it says a song of degrees. Same thing, yours might say under Psalm 126, a song of ascent. Probably not written by David, certainly inspired by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. These songs of ascent were sung by worshipers when they went up to keep certain feast days, Passover was one of them, up when they ascended up to Jerusalem. And this psalm begins with the worshipers singing the words, Psalm 126, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Now, I read this the first time and thought, this must be talking about the captivity in Babylon. Not so, the experts say. Not so. Ah, possibly, but not necessarily and actually not likely. This could be, the scholars say, any sort of captivity, any sort of oppression, any sort of burden, the Lord turns them. When the Lord turned again the captivity. And if you look at this, rather than just thinking back, if you'll take the narrative and transpose it into a contemporary key, you will read this and discover that the Bible writer believed that the Lord is able to turn again our captivity. Can you say amen? Whatever your burden is, whatever your difficulty is, when you're down, God lifts you up. When there is some captivity taking place in your life, it is God who was able to turn that thing. If you will press the throne of God in faith, you will know that it is the Lord who was able to turn again your captivity. Whether it is captivity to sin, whether it is captivity to some crisis in your life, when you perceive you are held fast someplace you don't want to be, you can know God it's able to turn your captivity. The worshipers going up to Mount Zion knew that. They believed that. Verse 2, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to suggest to you today that when God does some great thing for you, you ought to have some laughter and you ought to have some singing going on. I remember the first 
sermon I preached on American soil. It was a terrifying experience. I preached in a town in Pennsylvania. Uh, names will be changed to protect the guilty. I was a kid preaching my heart out. I even didn't even know why I was preaching. I was doing a, an LE program with a bunch of students, and they said, hey, you talk a lot. Would you preach? Yeah. I said, man, i got to fire up these Adventists. I preached the first angel's message. I said, wow, there's something in there that everybody can get excited about. And I preached, and I thought to myself, this is not, <laughs> this is not going well. And I preached again, and I was hitting the high, the high notes and some big points, and I said, this will excite them. It excited them, all right. And I walked out of there saying, why did I agree to do this? I will probably never preach again. And when they met me at the door, I was, I was barraged. It was like an avalanche. Little old ladies were hurling themselves at me from 10 or 12 feet away. <laughs> God bless you, young man. The conference president was there. Shook my hand, just about ripped my arm out of its arm socket. Man, we need more of that in our churches. And while I was standing there preaching, uh, I thought they were ready to throw me out. When the Lord touches you and excites you, it ought to show. And I don't just mean during a sermon. When God has done something for you, you shouldn't be backwards about coming forwards. Can you say amen? We ought to be able to stand up and say glory to God. God is good. God has done some good thing. Our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Then said they among the heathen, we're still in verse 2, the Lord has done great things for them. Man, that's what you want unbelievers to say, isn't that right? People living where you live ought to be able to say, those Christians, those Sabbath keepers, those Seventh-day Adventists, God has clearly done some great thing for them. Friend, if Jesus is yours, if you keep the Sabbath, if you attend church, if you can breathe, if you believe, let it be seen by somebody that knowing Jesus makes a difference in your life. Let it be seen. Let somebody say, the Lord has done great things for them. Jesus didn't say, I have come into the world so that those who choose me are just the same as everybody else. He came that we might have life more abundantly. You don't have to be doing cartwheels down the aisle, but there ought to be something going on in your life. Someone ought to be able to say, these people are blessed. That's why God put Israel where God put Israel, at the crossroads of the world. So people would go through and say, this church is different. The blessing of God rests on this thing. What did the prophet Isaiah say? Arise. Next word he used was what? Shine. Why? For your light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Friend, if God's glory is risen upon you, it's going to be seen. If it's not going to be seen, you can, you can blame your, your Scandinavian ancestry. Or you can simply say there's something missing in my life. When God rises on you, the world ought to know. Let your neighbors see. Your colleague, don't, don't, don't be one of these people. Oh, they lived next to them for 30 years and didn't even know they were Christians. The Lord has done great things for them. Let people know in the book of Acts, they took knowledge of the apostles that they had been with Jesus. It showed, Revelation 18, what happens? 
Revelation 18 verse 1. The earth is lit up with a manifestation of the glory of God in the people of God's saints. God put us on this earth so people could look at us and say, it obviously makes a difference when you are a believer in Jesus. Somebody ought to say amen. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I can just imagine the Israelites singing this on their way to Jerusalem. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. I've told this story a couple of times this summer. I don't mind telling it again. I was in Jerusalem a couple of months ago, first time I'd ever been. I'm not an expert on Israel, but I certainly loved being there. It was wonderful. We had held an event, and it is written evangelistic series, in Paris, France. And because we were only this, it's close to Israel, we said, let's go, take a camera, film some inserts for some it is written television programs. And so we went. Friday night, we went down to the Western Wall. And uh, it, it was interesting. I'd never been there. You, some of you, you've been there. You know what it's like. People were singing. It was, it was like a, a soccer game. You know how they sing in the stands at soccer games. It was, it was they, they were exuberant. They were jubilant. They were, they were demonstrative. Jewish people. I'd lived near Jewish people when I lived in England, and they were pretty low-key, man. I didn't expect this. All these rabbinical students were down there. It was like a party. It really was. It was like spring break. And there I was, and I was walking along by this group of, let me get a little room here. I was walking along next to this group of kids because I was, we were, we, well, we were filming actually. When, and, uh, and I got talking to this kid from, uh, from New York City, 18 years old. I said to him, um, so what's going on? These guys look mighty happy. He said, well, we're down here to worship God. All right, tell me more. He said, it's the Sabbath, and we are down here to celebrate the arrival of the Sabbath. You know, somebody, somebody said that a, a, a Jewish person came over here and said, you Adventists know how to keep the Sabbath. We Jews celebrate the Sabbath. They were celebrating, man. They're down there. Tony Moore had told me about this. He said, we went over there and filmed for, for, for Tony's stuff. And, he's, and, he, and he showed me some of the footage of, of, of Friday night down there. These guys dancing. I looked at that. I said, wow, I wonder if we're going to see that when we get there. They're dancing. They're dancing around in circles. They're grabbing each other's arms. The New York kid said to me, hey, why don't you join in? One of the really cool things about becoming an Adventist for me, no more dancing. No, I'm fine, man. It's okay. Leave it to the experts. Now, you know, this, they weren't, this wasn't John Travolta. You know, they, that wasn't disco dancing. They're, 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 they're celebrating. They're, they're exuberant. And he said, join in with them. I said, no, man, mm-mm, it's okay. They're singing the Psalms. At one stage, it got silent. Hundreds of people turned around all together. I, I would turn around too, but there's something I'm not going to show you. They, they all turned around at the same time. The sun was this high above the, above, above the horizon. They were t- he said, we are welcoming Queen Sabbath. I said, Queen Sabbath? Next minute they're dancing again. I'm just standing here minding my own business. Oh, I get pulled over in the dancing line. My mic came off then too. I, 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 when in Rome, you got to do as the Romans. So now I'm, I'm doing this thing. And we're doing this. Oh, hey, hey. I didn't know the words. The guy said, you don't know the words. Just feel the words. So I'm feeling the words. Let me say this with respect, ladies and gentlemen. And I say this with respect. If a group of Jewish people 
Jewish Jews, I'm not talking about Messianic Jews, if they can get excited on a Friday night about the Sabbath, if they can be excited about the Messiah, hmm? a Messiah they don't know, a Messiah they are waiting for, if they can say the Lord has done great things for us, I want to tell you, Seventh-day Adventists who know the Messiah by name, who know he's coming back soon, who have been given blessings, limitless blessings by Almighty God. Man, we've got something to be excited about. People ought to be able to say, the Lord has done great things for them. We ought to be able to say the same. Friend, you ought to be glad. God is yours. Here with these people. We are God's people. I'm saying, no, wait a minute. That's us. I'm thinking if you can be excited, I can be more so excited. Here's what the psalmist went on to write. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Luther wrote about this. He said it doesn't matter if the Red Sea or the Jordan or anything else. He said the similitude is this. Like as by the mighty hand you brought to pass miraculously that the waters were dried up and consumed, so dry up, O Lord, and bring to nothing all our captivity. That's Martin Luther through then and there. So that's the waters. But now let's get to the serious part of the psalm, the business end of the psalm, how it applies to us today. Cannot lose evangelistic outreach. Let's read. Verse 5. They that sow in tears shall what? Shall reap in joy. And the next verse extrapolates that out a little bit. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall, give me the next word, shall doubtless come again with what? Rejoicing, bringing his sheaves where? There you go. Somebody said, well, this, this represents Jewish farmers casting the last of their grain into the ground and celebrating they're going to reap fine. Maybe it does. But as we look at this through the lens that God's end time people look through, we see an application for us today, an application that suggests that God is urging us to reach this world for him. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. God, friend, is speaking to you and me. Look at this. He that goes forth. Now, this presupposes something. It presupposes that God's people, what? Go forth. Have you heard the Great Commission? Go ye therefore. Jesus said, go. The psalmist says, go forth. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but our theme is, we uh, it's time to be about our father's business. I don't know if you know, but that's always the theme for ASI. They just call it different stuff. Because when you're part of this ASI movement, then you uh, recognize that the, 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 the mandate for your life is that it's time to be about your father's business. Old news, I know that. The Savior told us what? The harvest truly is great, but the, the, the problem is the laborers are what? But the labor is a few. The harvest is great if ever there was a time for all of God's people to go forth. That time is now. Friend, go forth. If God has been prodding you in your comfort zone to move out of that comfort zone and do something for him on the front line somehow, go forth. If it's that neighbor you've been waiting to talk to, go. A family member you've been waiting to reach, go. Go forth. Soon, Jesus is coming back. 
And how many times have you heard so-and-so just died? You know what? I'll tell you what. The, 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 the doctor who rushed to my father's side when my father had his heart attack and died. When he got there, dad was dead. But the doctor was a great guy. I used to play squash with him. That's the, the intelligent person's racquetball. Used to play squash with the doctor. He was a good guy. Now, I'll tell you what. This is a family show, so I won't tell you everything about his lifestyle. I thought to myself, that guy's a lovely guy. He wept when my father died. He wept. Oh, John, my dad's name was John. Oh, John, I will miss you, he said to my dead father. Oh, John, I will miss you. I thought to myself, I've got to do something about this guy. He said, he said, he said something about God, and then he said, not that I'd know anything about that. Speaking of himself, not that I'd know anything about God, I said, man, I've got to do something for this guy. I've got to do something. I've got to send him a book. Uh, I, I voiced Steps to Christ. I, I did the audio. I said, oh, I'll send that to him. He can listen to it in his car. I'll send him the Steps to Christ book. I'll send him something. Maybe he'll burn it. Maybe he'll listen. Maybe he'll reject it. Maybe he'll accept it. I kept thinking to myself every now and then, it'd be a great idea to send the doctor something about Jesus. Then I heard the doctor was dead. Friend, if God is calling you to go forth, go forth. If God is calling you to mission service someplace, to leave your home, sell up, go, go. Have a good talk with Jesus, but go, go. God is looking for people who will go forth. God is looking for people who will take a risk. God is looking for people who will say, we'll make a sacrifice. God is looking for people to say, we'll do something radical. Even if it does freak out our parents, we will go. I was in Papua New Guinea recently and heard the story of a, of a, a great New Zealand missionary. His name was Len Barnard. He's still alive. Great guy. He's in his 90s now. I haven't met him, but I've heard the stories. Pastor Barnard went to Papua New Guinea and he saw the mountains and he saw the valleys. He said, somebody's got to go in there and tell these cannibals about Jesus. I'm going. They said to him, don't go. You will not come out of there alive. If you go, the people are very hospitable. Somebody's going to have you over for dinner. He said, somebody's got to go. You know, when I went there, I went to the very village Pastor Barnard had been in. When he was there, when he was there, somebody died. He taught the people, we're going to have a Christian funeral. But they had to stay up all night guarding the body so that nobody would steal the body and eat it. We're going to teach you how to have a Christian funeral. You go there now, there is no fear. There is no devil worship. You go there now, there is no suspicion. There is no filth. There is no disease. You'd live in that village and be happy beautiful. God has made the difference. It wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened without Pastor Barnard taking the big risk and going in there. I was there to, to cap off It Is Written's God Pod project. We, we, we distributed thousands of MP3 audio Bibles. The people there can't read or write, many of them. Two-thirds of the people in the country. We took these things there. Man, am I glad somebody went forth before I went forth. And I tell you what, I saw the results of what Pastor Barnard and others did. When we were there, we had a baptism. A couple of witch doctors, former witch doctors were baptized. And we talk about witch doctors. We say, oh, that was long ago. No, one of them, he had a bow and arrow. He would step out in front of his hut, shoot the arrow. The arrow would fly for miles, they say even hundreds of miles. It would hit a pig or some other animal and fly back and deposit the animal at the front door of the man's hut. This was happening just a year ago. 
And I know it was happening because the man told me himself. And the missionary told me himself. It's the real thing. There's darkness out there, man. And similar darkness most likely in your own neighborhood. We just call it different things. Friend, God is calling us to go forth. What happens when you go forth? Is there a price to pay? Pastor Barnard went forth. He went a little forth too close to an airplane propeller. Chopped off his leg. Other than that, didn't cost him anything. He was fine. He's laying on the ground without his leg. He said, get me to the hospital. They, not the hospital, a clinic. We're talking about a bush clinic. They were taking him to the bush clinic. He said, hold on, get my leg. They said, pastor, you won't be needing that. Oh, yes, I will. They can't attach that leg, pastor. This is in the 1960s, early 1960s. He said, we'll let God decide. They got him to the clinic. Now, man, this is a clinic. This is not Loma Linda University Medical Center or University Hospital here in Cincinnati or, or UK Hospital down in Lexington, Kentucky. This was out in the bush 50 years ago in Papua New Guinea. He said, if God has a, a use for me, if God sees to it, I need my leg, God will make it work. They sewed that leg on. It took a few months. Pastor Barnard walked out, walked out. Do you believe in miracles, ladies and gentlemen? If you met him today, you might notice he walks with a slight limp. There's a story behind that limp. What's the story? The Lord has done great things for us. Can you say amen? Thank God for that. He that goes forth and weeps, the world will not be one while we hang back. It won't happen. He that goes forth and weeps. We can come at this from two angles. Number one, we weep because we are burdened for souls. We are, we are burdened for souls. We recognize that there are people that must be one. Without Jesus, they must be lost. We are burdened. We cannot stand to see our neighbors living Christless lives. We've got to go forth, weeping as it were, either literally or metaphorically. And then there's a second thing that we might look at. He that goes forth recognizing his insufficiency, recognizing that she isn't the answer here. We go forward saying, God, you must do something here. Lord, I'll go, but you work. We were holding a series of meetings years ago in a town, the name of which I would love to tell you. I said to a lady, who's that man over there? Who's that man? He, he looked like he fit in, but evidently, she said, she said, she said, you will never baptize him. I thought to myself, well, I don't do the baptizing anyway. I leave that to the church pastor. But why do you say that? Oh, he's been coming around here for years. You will never baptize him. Man, did I pray that night. Oh, God, please, please show this lady what you can do. Show this congregation what you can do. I pled with God. A month later, I stood up near the baptistry, watched him get baptized. I'm looking around for that lady. She didn't dare look at me. I wanted to go up to her and say, ha! But I was far too Christian to do that. Friend, God is able, isn't he? God is able. When we put it on God, Lord, I'll go forth, but I'm, I'm burdened here. I'm weeping here. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Precious seed. Has God given us seed to go forward with? Let's not be confused about this. The seed that God has given his end time church is the three angels' messages. Can we agree on that? That's the seed. Now, you can say, now there's more than one way to skin a cat. Sure there are or is. 
plenty of ways. But friends, ultimately, the message God has given us is the three angels' message. That doesn't mean you need to be talking about beasts every time you open your mouth. It means you ought to be lifting up Jesus every time you open your mouth. It means that we need to tell people that there is a way, that there is a heaven, that there is a Savior, that there is a seal of God, that there is a remnant church. We ought to be proclaiming this message unapologetically. I'll tell you what a problem is. Many of our own people have figured out that the precious seed isn't precious seed. That's what they've deduced. I want to tell you something, that there is power in the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. Power to change your life. Power to reach somebody that you think is unreachable. Power to reach somebody that you think is unwinnable. God is able to do it. I wonder if one of the reasons some parts of the world are baptizing tons and others are not, is because in some parts of the world, they're lifting up the three angels' messages proudly, and in other parts, they're hiding it under a bushel. Now, if you want to start a church in a coffee shop, I'm not going to knock you. If that's what God is leading you to do, do it. He's never led me to do that, but thank God he has led some people to do that because some people are reached that way. If you you think you need to change this or change that or take this approach or do something that's a little avant-garde, I'm not going to tell you that's wrong, but I will tell you where the power is. The power is in the message that God has given us to proclaim down here in the end of time. Everything else is a means to an end. He that goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, precious seed. I'm reminded of what happened in Las Vegas, Nevada. We had a wonderful series of meetings in Las Vegas earlier this year. In cooperation with the Nevada, Utah conference, in cooperation with ASI. God blessed so beautifully there. In the lead-up to the meetings, we had this tremendous response to the Project Steps to Christ mailing. Tremendous response. And so there were hundreds of people who needed to be followed up. One man lived way on the north side of town, way on the north side. A couple went there. They said, it's a long way. He lives in a gated community. We went twice. We couldn't find him. We're done. Here's the name. I say, thank God they turned the card back in. Because Michael and Phyllis got a hold of it. They said, where did you say that man lives? He's not that far from our church. We'll go. It's interesting. Michael worked overnight. He'd work all night long. And then when there was soul winning to do, he, he wouldn't go to sleep. He'd stay up all day going knocking down doors and offering Bible studies to people. Praise the Lord. They went to the man's home. Oh, hey, hang on a minute. Gated community. But you know, let me tell you. If you live in a gated community, you won't like me saying this. But if you uh, ever want to get into a gated community, you know the trick, right? Pull up to the gate and wait. Someone's going to come out soon. That's your opportunity. Now, it wasn't gated with a guard and a Rottweiler. It was just a gate. They went in. They found the address. They knocked on the door. Nobody was there. They said, huh? We'll come back. They came back a second time. They came back a third time. They came back a fourth time. When they knocked on the door for the seventh time, they said, there's nobody home. And suddenly, the door handle turned. And the door opened, and there he was. And she said, you sure are a hard man to find at home. And they left Bible studies. They came back, and they came back. You see what? He that goeth forth and weepeth, burdened 
we got to reach this man bearing precious seed. The fourth time he said, would you all mind stepping in? I've got some questions about these Bible studies. And then when he came to the It Is Written meeting, the Revelation Today meeting, I was looking forward to meeting him. When I met him, he had one question. His question was, do you think I should be rebaptized or should I just join this church on profession of faith? No, 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 you meant to say amen there. That's right. That was his only question. He said, there's a reason God has kept me alive this long. He was an older man. Because God wanted me to learn his end time truth. I say, praise the Lord. The Lord has done great things for us. When you go forth burdened, leaning on God, Lord, we have got to find a way to reach this person, to reach this community. Now, I want you to see what happens next. Verse, verse, verse 6. He that goes forth and weeps bearing precious seed. Yes, this is driving me nuts. Shall, shall what? Shall, next word, shall. Let me hear you. Shall what? Doubtless. I got I to gotta love that word. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Started talking about can't lose propositions. God gives you one right here. He that goeth forth and weepeth. If you go forward with the word of God, the Bible says you will doubtless, without a doubt, come forth with rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. If you sow, there will doubtless be a harvest. Now, I know you're saying, but, 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 nah, never mind, I don't, I'm not interested in your but, uh, in your objections. It's the English language, I'm sorry. Not interested. I said a couple of times in sermons I was referring to people who went to India as missionaries. And I said, man, they would go to India, they'd bang their head against a brick wall, they'd celebrate baptizing one. Baptize one, they'd baptize one, they'd come home, they'd say, why did I even go? I wonder, I asked some returned missionaries, some old missionaries. They said, John, that's exactly what it was like. And now you go to India and you preach the word of God. What, what's the problem we have there? We can't build the churches fast enough. It may take a while, but you will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. But John, evangelism doesn't work. No, 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 hang on a minute. The problem is people don't work. Evangelism works. It was 1970. George Vanderman, when he was at It Is Written, held an evangelistic series. Guess where? Here. Right here. And there were multitude, uh, it's a big word, there were many people baptized. As a matter of fact, the conference president at the time said, we're going we're gonna to get our pound of flesh out of this guy. And so George was holding meetings in Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati simultaneously. <laughs> we're holding meetings in Dayton later on this year. They haven't asked us to go to Columbus and Cincinnati simultaneously. Please don't give them any ideas. In Cincinnati in 19-whatever, Robert Boothby held meetings. You know how many people were baptized in this city at, that, at the end of that meeting? 457 people were baptized. But John, that was years ago. That was, that was before there was electricity. You know, the last time ASI was held here in Cincinnati, there was a Youth for Jesus. And you know Youth for Jesus, right? Kids, kids holding evangelistic meetings. In several places around the city, there were hundreds and hundreds of people who said they were going to come out to the meeting. And dozens and dozens, more than a hundred people baptized. Children 
leading more than a hundred people to baptism in secular postmodern Cincinnati just a few years ago. I got a question for you. Does it work? God says this thing will work. The word he used was doubtless. Now I do want to express that there's more than just public evangelism as part of evangelism. But evangelism is evangelism. If you want to share a loaf of bread over the back fence with your neighbor, do it. That's evangelism. If you, if you want to look after your neighbor's kids so she can go shopping so you can demonstrate the love of Jesus, that's evangelism. You bet it is. If you want to operate a soup kitchen or feed the homeless or, or, or go to the prison, it's evangelism. If you want to gather some interests together and preach the Word of God and share the Word of God, it's evangelism. And this work cannot be without fruit, I read somewhere. Don't be discouraged. Oh man, in our town we haven't seen a breakthrough. Doesn't mean there hasn't been one. Doesn't mean there won't be one. My buddy Ron Halverson was telling me the story. You've probably heard the story. If you haven't, I'm going to tell the story. It's a great Ron Halverson story. Ron, sorry man, I'm about to use your story. In front of everyone. You can use two of mine. This story is worth my ten best stories. Ron Halverson was at a camp meeting. And he, and, he, and he eyed one of the camp meeting speakers that were backstage. He said, hmm, that's the famous evangelist who went to a certain city and they spent a boatload of money. I mean a boatload. And they got a handful of baptisms. And this evangelist had thought that the meetings had been a colossal failure. Ron went up to him and he said, Elder, glad to meet you. I, I remember those meetings you held in New... Oh, I wasn't going to tell you the city. In some place... The evangelist wasn't too interested. Ron said, I heard you had 12,000 baptisms at that meeting. <laughs> no, Brother Elvis, and that's not right. We just had a handful. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, Ron said. Oh, no, brother. I hear you had 12,000 baptisms. <laughs> no, no, you must be hearing it wrong. Oh, no, 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 brother. No, brother. 12,000. He said, let me tell you. You baptized a lady in that series of meetings named Mrs. So-and-so. Her son was a good buddy of mine who led me to the Lord. And in my ministry so far, we baptized 12,000 people. He said, Elder, I understand you had 12,000 baptisms in that meeting. Thank you for telling me, brother. A young evangelist said to me, he said, John, man, he was a friend of mine. John, I held a meeting in Arkansas. Oh, man, how did it go? Oh, no, what's wrong? What's the matter? How did it go? How many baptisms do you have? And that's not always the measure. How many? He said, oh, man, just two. I said, two baptisms? Oh, man. I said, what's the population of that town? He said, 3,000. 3,000? You ought to be jumping for joy. Now, this was just after Mark Finley had held an It Is Written meeting in San Diego. I said, Mark Finley just held a meeting in San Diego. They had 400 baptisms. He said, oh, don't tell me. I said, hang on. San Diego's got 1.3 million people. Do the math. 400 baptisms in a city of 1.3 million is not as good as two baptisms in a city of 3,000. I said, man, you did better than Mark Finley. <laughs> hey, no disrespect, Mark. You did better than Mark Finley. Oh, he stood up. Don't worry about how many heads you can count. If you go forward weeping, burdened, and you sow precious seed, God has promised you will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. Doubtless. 
so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God calls us simply to go. Brand new Adventist. Pardon me if you've heard this story before. I was a brand new Adventist. I'm looking at the clock. Ah, it's better to apologize later than to ask for permission beforehand. And so, I was baptized in England. The next day, I returned to New Zealand. Called the local church. I didn't know where it was, how to get there, nothing. He said, there's a guy in your town who comes to this church. I said, no, no, there's no Adventist in my old town. Yes. He told me the name of the guy. I said, that guy's a big shot in our Catholic church. I said, I know a fellow by that name, but it's not him. He calls the guy. He says, Bradshaw, John Bradshaw, can you give him a ride to church? He said, John Bradshaw? He said, I know a John Bradshaw. That's not him. That's not possible. When we met, oh, man, I can still see his little white van driving up my mother's blacktop driveway. Oh, it's you, I said. He said, it's you. We couldn't believe it. And there he had his four kids, the daughter and the three sons. If he hadn't joined the Adventist church, he would But it, it was it's just four. And uh, sweet daughter, nine years old. We had a great time. Years later, I'm preaching back in that same church. I'm bringing the sermon into a close, and God says, make an altar call. I said, no, I can't do that. Make an altar. No, no, I'll just make a regular old appeal. Make an altar call. I said, there's something you don't understand. God likes that about me. I help him with the things he can't understand. I said, there's something you don't understand. I come back from New Zealand. Now, you all think I sound like a New Zealander. The New Zealanders think I sound like an American. That's very uh, disconcerting. I said, if I make an altar call, they'll think I think I'm a big shot American preacher and I'm showing off. I can't do that. I'm not going to make an altar call. I, and right when I said that to the Lord, one of the pastors came forward and started playing an appeal song on the piano. I looked down. He looked up at me and nodded his head. <laughs> I'm outnumbered. Make the appeal. I see a young lady stand up. She's got a baby on her hip. I said, hey, that's the girl. Oh. She comes forward. I talked her out the back. She waits to talk. I said, how's, the f how's it going? John, she said, things aren't good. Mom and dad have left the church. In fact, they split up. Dad went back to drinking alcohol. My brothers, they don't come. The, the oldest one's smoking dope, and the others are wanting to smoke dope. And I, only, I, I hardly ever come to church. But this morning, I felt like God said, go to church. And when I came and you were preaching, I knew that God was calling me. And I knew that God was calling me back. John, I'm back. And I'm going to go and I'm going to bring my whole family back. <laughs> you got to admire people. On the inside, I said, that'll never happen. I mean, come on. The dad was an alcoholic. He got off the booze and now he's gone back to drinking. Oh, he's done. The parents, they've been married 25 years. Now they split up. And now they're back together? That, no, they're not coming back together. The brothers, they're teenage boys out in the world. Maybe the oldest was 20 or something. Out in the world. They're not all coming in. I said, what a great idea. You go get your family. I'll pray for you. My prayer wouldn't have been worth two cents. She said, I'm going to go and get my family and bring the whole lot of them to Jesus. We've got to come back. God's calling us all. You see, the Bible says, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall what? Doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. 
I come back a couple of years later to hold an evangelistic series there. Well, there's my girl. And she comes bounding up to me. John, have you heard? Heard what? Mom and dad are back in the church. What happened? Well, dad got off the booze. They got back together. They've been rebaptized, I think it was. They're back in the church and they're, as, they're involved. They'll be working in the series. I said, well, hallelujah. Take that. What about the rest of the family? My oldest brother's coming back to church. How about your husband? He's agreed to attend the archaeology seminar. The husband is sitting in the archaeology seminar. He leans over to the wife. He says, you know, I think what this guy's saying about Noah's Ark is true. Yes, of course it's true. If it's true, then the Bible's true. I've been telling you for years that the Bible's true. If the Bible's true, then I should get baptized. What? Yeah, I should get baptized and join the church. I think that's what I'll do. As a matter of fact, let's get your brothers and bring them in too. By the time the series was over, they had all made decisions for baptism. And when I was back for a youth event a year later, guess who was front and center? The daughter was running the show. The husband, he was there too. One of the boys became a student missionary. One of the boys uh, did something else. And one of the boys did something else. But the point is they all came to Jesus. And the husband became an it is written Bible worker. Somebody ought to say amen out there. Friend, he that goeth forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, tell me, shall what? Doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is a cannot lose proposition. Cannot lose. God is just asking you if you will go forth. That's all. If you're out there on the front line, God bless you. Pray and ask that the Spirit would work like never before. Friends, Jesus is coming back soon. This isn't maybe. This isn't possibly. This isn't perhaps. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, there will be people ready to meet him. There will be people who will say, I'm standing on the platform of the three angels' messages. I'm standing on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Here's the seed. Friend, let's go forward. If we weep, we weep. But we bear precious seed. And God says we shall Doubtless, come again with what? Rejoicing. Bringing our sheaves with us, what do you say? Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you today for Jesus. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you today that you have commissioned us. You've given us the greatest work that there ever was, that of sharing Jesus. Lord, some of us, we don't know what we're doing. We're all ill-equipped, really. We're all inadequate, and we're all tainted by sin. We thank you that our sufficiency is of Christ and that we are co-laborers together with you. Lord, thank you for this beautiful psalm. Encourage us to go forth, bearing the precious seed. And Father, we believe we will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. We thank you for this wonderful truth and these blessed promises. And we pray today in Jesus' name, please join me in saying, Amen and Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.